Welcome back to Vintage Stories Podcast. Yeah, I wanted to play the intro a little longer there. It's been a while since I heard that song. Thought you guys might want to hear it. Thank you, Willie D. I actually don't know the name of that song, but uh, I think we just call it Vintage Stories Song. Uh, so, yeah, welcome back. It's been a while. Uh, I think I'm going to keep it this way and do sort of two series a year, one here in the wintertime in New Zealand and one in the spring. We've got a lot of great guests lined up. I don't want to give too much away, but we've uh, we've already got two sort of Hawks Bay legends uh, in the bank. So we're releasing that starting off today with John Hancock. And I thought it was sort of fitting to start with John, New Beginnings. He's uh, in a transition, and this is being our first episode of, I don't even know what I'm going to call this season yet, season four, season five. I think season one was kind of a very long four-year project. Uh, and season two and 2.1, I don't know, was last year. And I, I, I don't know. I'll, I'll have to go back through the records of the what was the Wine is Food podcast and now is called Vintage Stories. They're all up on iTunes. And for those of you guys who are on Android, there's a new Google podcast app. Finally, Google has their own podcast app to sort of compete with the Apple podcast, which you know, was sort of running the show for many, many years. And Google's come out with a really good app. Uh, So that should be on all your Android phones. I think it might be a two-second download. And uh, I've checked it out, even though I use an iPhone. I checked it out on a few friends' phones and computers, and it looks really cool. So very easy to use. So check that out. Uh, And I've already seen that the Vintage Stories archives are already up there, just sort of automatically sucked it off iTunes if you look for that. Uh, but I, you know, I use Stitcher and some other really good podcast apps out there like Podbean. Uh, anyway, we're sponsored by Decibel Wines as always. Uh, we've got some great new releases out, including the 2016 Pinot Noir, which, uh, I don't know, I think it's my best effort yet and had a lot of fun working with that, uh, making that wine and working with, uh, James Brody down at Brody Estate with his just amazing fruit and very unique site. Um, so that's up on the website right now at decibelwines.com. We can ship that basically all over the world, uh, for you. And, uh, yeah, if you haven't noticed, I've got a little cold, been traveling a lot, was down in Wellington last weekend and up in Auckland all this week. And that's just what happens, man. But, uh, Auckland was awesome. Just so many great restaurants continuing to blossom up there. Uh, and I had a unique experience where I was out with, uh, my distributor, and they were kind of talking politics, and one of them said, well, I just don't agree with her. I think they were talking about Jacinda and uh, our, our uh, lovely prime minister. And I said, I don't, the guy said, I don't really agree with her politics, and that's all. And then he said, who did you vote for? And uh, the other person said, well, I'm not going to tell you that. And you know what happened next? Nothing. They went on (laughs) and carried on talking and doing, it wasn't some dumb argument and going on and on and, you know, where they can never uh, come to to agreement or some trying to convince them of all these crazy facts and blah, blah, blah. So I thought it was pretty cool. I mean, there's just so much noise out there these days. And uh, there used to be a time when you didn't talk about who you voted for and, uh, you know, or at least not in public, and you didn't sort of mix business and politics like that. So, I don't know, I just thought it was interesting given all the noise out there. That said, if you believe in something as much as you want, uh, you should protest and be out there in the streets making some noise if you uh, firmly believe in it. But, uh, yeah, it was just refreshing to see a nice conversation come to a just an amicable, okay, well, that's it, and uh, very rare these days. So, uh what else? The podcast promo code. Um, as always, we have the uh, DB uh, podcast as the promo code. You can get 10% off your first order. Uh, that's what we've used always in the past. You might come up with something different in uh, future episodes, but right now we just wanted to reach out and let you guys know about the 2016 Pinot. Uh, and we now have another official outside sponsor so in case you guys haven't realized decibel wines does not (laughs) pay me money uh to uh, promote that on the podcast just something obviously we do for free because that's my wines uh but we're now working with kari so look at that you do a podcast for 
what's it been six years or something and you finally get a um a sponsor so i'm really happy to be working with kari uh they're based in australia and new zealand so any of you guys listening in australia can get that it was just the first people i had thought of and i spoke with them and uh it was just a really good match uh for they uh you know i use their products i think they're just a great company very friendly people um and they just do all kinds of different stuff so uh, it runs across the board. They do do um, some food ingredients and things like that for the sort of you know high end culinary folks and people looking to do different things. I don't know as much about that, but it's all up on their website, uh, which is kariwine.com. And uh, yeah, you know, basically from my own experience with Kari, I used the Vitafirm yeast and firm control uh, both when I was at Paratua and. Uh, on my own, uh, that was a big part of making my first ever trophy-winning wine with uh, the 2016 Viognier. I saw its potential in using using it in other wineries, and just uh, was very easy. It's like a great white wine yeast because uh, it's sort of real steady, uh, cool ferment. So it allowed for a lot of control and a lot of great fruit expression. It's also an organic yeast. They have a lot of great organic products. And, man, I can't say enough about those guys. They've just done a great job. So um, very happy to have them on board for this season to uh, sponsor the podcast. And thanks, Dean, and thanks for, you know, the whole team over there for uh, yeah, believing in the podcast and noticing that, you know, there's a lot more people listening to this thing. So man, I got papers to read and I got things to (laughs) promote. Uh, this thing's getting way too official and I got to be way more organized than I ever was where I used to just kind of ramble on, but, uh, and just introduce people. But now I got plugs and different things to do. So, um, yeah, once again, Kari, thank you. And the website is kariwine.com. And let's get on with the podcast now. I uh, had a great chat with John Hancock. I didn't really know John. I, we, you know, we had met a few times over the years. He was always nice. And I uh, saw him a bit more this year uh, when he was at picking up some fruit that he was purchasing. I saw him driving around town a lot more. And he's hustling. He's now uh, moved on from Trinity Hill and working on his own project now, which is with his uh, sons. So one of his sons, a winemaker, the other one I think is helping out uh, with uh, yeah, sort of marketing and sales and things like that. So it's John Ca- John Hancock and son uh, is his Instagram. And he doesn't have a website yet, doesn't have any wines released yet, but I thought it was a really interesting time to speak with John. And man, that guy's a legend. He's just been doing it since the 70s, since before I was born. And uh, he just had so many cool stories and just a total sweetheart, a really nice guy. I mean, definitely confident and has a lot of great experience, but just really nice guy. And, and uh, yeah, I really enjoyed talking to him. So I hope you guys enjoy it. Cheers. started thanks for bringing some wine no worries I don't, was that's all part of the part of the story really um <laughs> so wait what was the name of the place brima from where you were born kimba kimba like the singer yeah. k-i-m-b-a mm. is that what the uh do you know the singer there's an australian yeah. or um, kimbra oh, like oh, oh kimbra oh sorry yeah. that's really really uncool of me to not know that <laughs> <laughs> she just put out a new album too that's critically acclaimed from what i hear i don't i don't know her music at all I just oh it's pretty know. I think she fits with that Goche guy that she did that song with. Right. She's uh, a bit progressive, but poppy, you know. Um, but, well, thanks for coming, man. Hey, you're more than welcome. I'm going to, uh, oh, actually, first, my first question is the, I've always wanted to ask you since, because uh, Trinity Hill was one of the first wineries I drank at when I moved here 10 and a half years ago. It was <laughs> right. on the old, uh, what was it called? Harvest Hawks Bay Harvest weekend. Hawks Bay, yeah. I came early for that, and I saw a concert there with a buddy. And anyway, <laughs> yeah. The, the, the irony—I uh, just want to make sure this isn't lost on you—that you used to put John Hancock on the bottles, and John Hancock 
Like yes. in the States, we yes, would indeed. say that. We would say, indeed. put your John Hancock yeah, right here. Yeah, well, see, I had to take my John Hancock signature off in the U.S. <laughs> oh, oh, because of that? In the insurance company. Oh. I, uh, threatened oh, us. yeah, that's right. There's a big insurance company. There. Yeah, yeah, they well, threatened well, you don't us. They, they got a lot uh, of money, they, those guys. <laughs> get that name off there. <laughs> yeah, it's <laughs> done. Not, not worth the hassle. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, and I also, uh, you know, with... I don't think I'm making a, a leap in saying that you're at a transition now, and it's probably a real interesting time to speak. Yeah, with you. And, yeah, absolutely, yeah. So uh, yeah. exciting harvest! Uh, yeah, you got the hands, <laughs> you know, and got uh, the hands back. <laughs> yeah, you're back into it. I saw you a few times uh, picking up some fruit yep. and driving driving about this year, which was pretty yep. cool. And uh, yeah, been in. I mean, I've concentrated in the Bridge Bar area hmm. at the moment. Yeah, there's a lot of great fruit there. So yeah. Chardonnay, what else you well, making? Char- uh, well, basically Chardonnay, but we've also done some uh, Cabernet Franc Rosé. Oh, cool. Really pale, really yeah, pale. Yeah, yeah, they did good color for Cabernet Franc um, And yeah, It looks more like that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and a little bit of Cabernet Franc Red from two different vineyards in the in the Bridge Par over the other side. Oh, there. cool. Yeah, I think, uh, well, Bridge Par Franc's awesome because really aromatic but it's also got that mocha thing going on absolutely it's i you know i sort of tasted it and i said this is exactly like and you probably don't you probably haven't seen these things but there's an australian chocolate bar called um um cherry ripe mm. so it's it's like preserved cherries coconut and vanilla yeah with the chocolate on the end this was exactly what this smelled like yeah i believe it yeah yeah i'll have to look out for them next time i'm in oz uh, to get my, you know, my flavor, my tasting note things <laughs> yeah. to write down, you know. Yeah, you, you do see them occasionally in New Zealand, but that's not a favorite of New Zealanders. They don't like it very no. much. It's like us Australians not liking Fijoas. Is that, uh, yeah. Only Kiwis, I think, like Fijoas. I've been eating the hell out of them <laughs> lately. Good on you. You're a Kiwi so, now. so good for, you know, vitamin C this yeah, time of year. I yeah. feel like Mother Nature's way of, of telling that, that uh, clarity Sweet thing or whatever it is yeah, it's, yeah. i don't like it i didn't get it when i first moved here i was <laughs> working at uh well about six months in i was working at vital in the restaurant mm-hmm. and all the kids were coming in and ordering you know they'd be with family and i'd say do you want a juice and they would have fijoa juice and I'd be, every time I'd be like really <laughs> i still don't know if i've ever come around to fijoa juice you have fijoa wine uh i think i have tried that mm. one time uh it's a bit of a but, a but i like fijoas well. when they're out and you do you know when they go uh they only last like a few days, though. You think they're all right, and then you open them up, and you go, yeah, I like them when they're a little more crisp, and I feel like I'm getting my vitamin C shot, you know, yeah. when I get those. So. Well, kiwi fruit's the other one. That's really high in vitamin C. Mm. Yeah. I don't particularly like kiwi fruit either. Yeah, they're a bit sloppier anyway. I feel like... Depends if you get... You don't want them when they've been yeah. sitting there in the cool store for 12 months. Yeah. <laughs> Fresh off the vine. Yeah. They're okay. I'm, I'm not a big kiwi fruit fan. Um. So yes, yeah, Chardonnay, a bit of Franc, but yep, a, a Franc Rosé and a and a Franc Red, but from two different vineyards, so quite different fruit. Did you make a lot of? So oh, let's rewind a second. You you're obviously Australian, mm-hmm. and did you start making wine in Australia? I did. Yep. I, I know you spent some time in France, right? I've had done a couple of harvests in yeah. France. Um, so did were you uh, like formally trained or? Mm-hmm. So I'm a Roseworthy grad Roseworthy, from yep. early 70s, 73. Yeah. Wow. I actually did my first harvest in 72. Uh, looking good, John. I'm doing the math <laughs> right alive. now. You're looking really good. <laughs> still alive, which is a biggie, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, so I, I did my first harvest at Yolumba in, in 72 in the Barossa. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's quite a brand these days, you know, all well, over yeah, the world. It is. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. Were family, they pretty big owned. back then, too? Yeah, they're still fairly big back then. But, yeah. uh, you know, it's the. I mean, the industry's changed a shitload. I mean, some, from my time in New Zealand, in, I came over in 79, and uh, there was something like 35 wineries in New Zealand then. Yeah. Of which probably half were only little guys up in Henderson. Yeah. Making a few barrels of sherry. Yeah. <laughs> probably 20 serious wineries. Yeah. And now, you know. Who was that in Hawke's Bay at that time? So that would have been Mission oh, and Mission, Vital. I suppose, or Nataro were just just starting around then a little bit later yeah um was penfolds were involved they didn't have a winery in hawks bay but they were involved some ownership and so stuff. esk was still there george had bought yep whatever they called themselves um eskdale or whatever they were called back no, then i was around the corner um what the hell was the bird family bird family yeah yeah what was it called 
And that, their big wine was sparkling, or big product was sparkling grape juice. Really? Mm. Is that like leftover from Prohibition or something? Yeah, probably, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, who else would have been here? Oh, oh, Peter Robinson was probably here at Brookfield. Yeah. I want to talk to Peter. Uh, I'm not sure he understands the podcast. <laughs> he's like, I, he a told, yeah, he told uh, Carl, who works with him, that he's like, yeah, I did a recording with Dan years ago. And I'm like, that was when I was at EIT and I just wanted to interview you to write a paper, you know, to write, <laughs> to write an assignment. He's like, I'm like, I don't know where that recording is anymore. It's probably gold on that, though. He talked about how he left from. I guess what was Mission at the time or something, or, or McDonald's. McWilliams. McWilliams, yeah, that's it. Yeah, so McWilliams Australia were involved at that time. They were still here when I came. Um, Penfolds, well, it wasn't Penfolds Australia, it was Penfolds New Zealand, which was a rather strange situation, but yeah. they were involved. Sepults from Australia were involved at one stage, I think, with vi what's Vitals now. Yeah. Um, so some funny, you know, why those Australian companies got involved, I'm not really sure. I guess it was made probably something to do with uh, import yeah. uh, tariffs or quotas or something that yeah. they they ended up getting involved in making it here rather than bringing it over from Australia. Uh, yeah, it's all, and was that all part of some of those big companies that kind of like squeezed the growers eventually? Ah, uh, well, I suppose, in the 80s, yes. you know, yeah, that was actually went, uh, Montana would have been the big, you know, Peter Hubscher. Yeah. Montana would have been the big one behind that. Cooks. Cooks, been, yeah. yeah. And probably Babbage's too. Yeah. <laughs> busily screwing everybody down. Yeah. Yeah, because yeah, I remember, uh, I don't know who, if George himself told me, but somebody when I worked over at Vital said that basically – the irony of the situation was that they screwed the growers down so much that the government had to step in and they were paying people to pull out yeah, lines. Did, and, then, yeah, and that actually is what turned it all around for everybody. It was know? largely what happened. Um, um, we pulled out a lot of because there was a lot of these hybrids. Well, <laughs> Molotergo wasn't so bad, you know, it wasn't, a, but it wasn't a terrible variety, but these things like. Barco 22A, Siebel 5455, uh, Siebel 5437. What does that even mean? I don't even know. They were Euro crosses, crossed with American oh, grapevines, basically. So it was, uh, yeah, they were all what they called hybrids. And they became very popular because they were fairly disease resistant. And they were, uh, were they a bit sweet? And well, they, they had were, that foxy thing? Yeah, uh, yeah, the reds did, the whites not so much. Mm. But... Not quite as not quite as powerful and overbearing as some of those things that grow on the east coast. Yeah, yeah. In the states, pretty yes. horrible. Labrusca. Yes. Mm. <laughs> some of this stuff, though. You know, Niagara, which is a New York State and Canadian grape, isn't? I think that's the grape behind the old white diamond up at. Uh, <laughs> Could that's, be. that's selling oh, yeah. for hundreds up of dollars in China yeah, now. But you know? God, it just shows how bloody stupid the wine yeah. industry is, doesn't it? We don't know what we're doing. You know, you just don't know. I thought it was a musket, but you might be I right. I think there's a, f you know, a few things in there. Um, you know, Richard, who passed away, yeah, he yeah. told me, he goes, yeah, it's like, you know, he's such a great sense of humor, that guy. <laughs> he was a good kid. He said, uh, he goes, oh, it's like Kentucky Fried Chicken. I can't tell you what's in the <laughs> recipe, you know, but it's just, a, you know, it works every time or something. But, um, a, yeah. yeah, it's just, but anyway, at the, in the 85, 86 is when, mm. and you were here for that. Yeah, I was here then. Um, and that at that time, well, that was forced a lot partly because you know delegates and villa uh, both went into receivership yeah at that time and you know there's the stories that um they they both owed growers a lot of money mm. and the story is that george paid it back but jim didn't <laughs> and then the irony of it all is i suppose they're both in the top you know the top 10 rich yeah or whatever it is in new zealand yeah yeah george has always remained a very credible Likeable guy. Yeah. I would love to get him on here, but, you know, he's sir. I'd probably have to go to the, <laughs> the royalty first to see if I could. I think, you know, the one who really deserves the credit who doesn't get it um, very much was um, Frank Yukich, who was, he was Montana mm. uh, initially, and he was the guy that planted Marlborough. And he was a, such a visionary. Yeah. And he gets no credit. He's still alive too. But he'd be. Oh, he Is he down in Marlborough or something? No, in Auckland. Oh, he's in Auckland. Mm. Okay. He must be in his nineties. Yeah. He'd yeah. know some history. Very interesting guy. Just, you know, he had much more vision than George. Yeah. 
but he was doing so he's doing Marlboro Sav, but yeah, uh, but I mean, they also they were big in Gisborne too. They had built Chardonnay a big winery, a new winery in the it's been the early nineteen eighties, I guess, in, in Gisborne. Mm. Mm. Man, and they got, and that's how Penn they were. T- did they take over Penfolds? Whatever, that's what happened. That's what sort of morphed into Penfolds New, New Zealand. Yeah, I think morphed from what I know, the Montana. sort of Australians just said, oh, screw it, we're out of here. And yeah. Left yeah. it all behind. Well, Montana was sold, must, it must have been in the mid-70s, I suppose, to um, Seagram's. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So Frank sold Montana to Seagram's, and there's all sorts of stories about, you know... Um, the the people who were doing the due diligence, well, the person was a little bit afraid of heights, so you know they had tanks full of water and stuff like that, you know, which they sold as wine, of course. Whoa! So I, don't know, I don't think it was all totally kosher. It wasn't above the above board everything. No. Oh man! No, and some funny things happened that period. That also very early uh, 1980s was that whole thing with water and bloody glycol and all the oh, rest yeah. of it. Yeah. Sorry, my glass just hit the microphone. <laughs> yeah, so that that was a very interesting period. And then Montana came out with this thing called Old Monk. Something to do with monks. It was a flavoured beverage. So labelled as flavoured beverage. So essentially all sugar and water and alcohol. Yeah, yeah. So to fill a gap, I guess. For a little while. Mm. Until they could. Because they just didn't have enough grapes. Yeah. That was always been the issue. And then... You know, the the whole way that wine was made when I came to New Zealand was totally different than anything I'd seen in Australia. I don't know if you're familiar with what they used to do, but they let's say it's white grapes. Mm-hmm. They'd, they'd machine harvest the grapes and they'd press out the first, like the first pressing, the first, four, like, let's call it free run. That became premium table wine. Then they'd take the skins, add sugar and water back to the skins mm-hmm. and then press them out again. <coughs> and that was sort of like bulk yeah. table wine, so flag and wine, or cask. And you wine could do that. It just there was no. Well, they just did it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There was no real regulations. Yeah. And then they would do it again for for fortified wine, just to give it some flavour. And then again <laughs> to to make still wash for you know for distillation wow so at least four times and i hear stories of more than that yeah <laughs> i don't know what's left in the skin by then it's certainly a very efficient way of using everything in the grapes but i suppose what it meant was you didn't need a lot of grapes to make reasonable volume wine yeah and those wines were pretty bloody awful too. oh my god i can't imagine yeah the first new zealand wines i ever tried was when i was working at a a winery called Berry in South Australia. So that was a, in those days was a big cooperative mm. making bulk wine, you know, bag in the box sort of stuff. Not bad quality, but a bit gallowish, you know. Yeah, yeah, just yeah. yeah. But it was the biggest winery in Australia, and well, crushing more than New Zealand was crushing at the time, and they probably still do. They're still around. They're part of the Hardys. Oh, okay. Or who have Pernod, isn't Pernod they? Pernod and Hardys. Hardys, I can't remember. Whoever owns Hardys, anyway, they bought Hardys bought. The cooperatives, there's no co-op. There was, in South Australia, there was at least four cooperatives and they all were privatised fairly quickly in the sort of boom times in the in the 80s and 90s in Australia. Yeah. So, But they had started out as like a community kind of... Yeah, yeah cooperatives, basically because like there was... a true co-op, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Largely because there was um, a surplus grapes. Yeah all got together and because uh, that was a fortified wine period in Australia New Zealand was the same yeah table they, wine came much later really and they came and then they sort of switched to custom crush or something like that S- similar yeah. yeah 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 and when I was when I first came to New Zealand um, delegates who I worked for when I came to New Zealand delegates would have been probably almost half fortified wine and mm. now of course none yeah none yeah yeah, and it's fun. You know, it's interesting what has happened over that period. Muller Turgau, which you know, when I came to New Zealand, was the best grape variety we had, mm. and didn't make bad. Made uh, entry level wine. You know, this well, not not that, but yeah, you know, yeah. that sort of wine, Germanic style. You're referring to the uh, beautiful Riesling you've brought over for us. Mosel, yeah. It's feeling a bit German outside today. So <laughs> yeah, sort of absolutely. Yeah. Feeling it. Yeah, so. Um, 
that was 45% of New Zealand's crush in those days. Hmm. Now, if there's, what, two hectares or something left in yeah, the country, you hear it's about not some, much. You know, there's an article written about whoever had yeah. it. I forget who's had it, but I've read it. So, you know, I, we always felt that you know, perhaps that would be what would happen with Sauvignon, but it never has. Hmm. That it, what would happen, that it would... It would fade you know, oh, from yeah. being most, you know, the most important variety in New Zealand well, to not. You know, it's... Uh, Continues to capture the. Yeah, I think the, it's a the, learner. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I I was as guilty of or yeah. guilty, or I did it myself, yeah. which was, uh, you know, I think when particularly when we're first getting into wine and white wine, you you taste a, a New Zealand. Well, you know what it is, don't you? Yeah, you know, and you go, and people like to. Yeah. Say, and I, hey, I'm clever. I, I think not yeah. only is it New Zealand Sauvignon, it's Marlborough. Yeah, I still run into people today. You know, when I do sales trips over in the States, particularly, who say, uh, oh, New Zealand Sauv Blancs are my favorite wines in the world. And I go, oh, cool. Well, we've got some. <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, Oz Clark said not that long ago that Marlborough Sauvignon is the only new style of wine that um, has come about probably in the last hundred years, mm. which is probably quite true. Yeah, it's a true style in mm. its own right. Yeah, start from nothing. Yeah, and end up to being a pretty important, you know, part of the world wine scene. Absolutely, it's it's basically on every list. You know, if you have a real wine list, it's going to some it, version of it or something. It's you know? an interesting one, isn't it? Because the wine critics, you know, the wine buyers, they hate it. They just bloody hate it. They public love it. Just keep selling. Yeah, particularly as now, like in the states, we're starting to pick up some sort of secondary third markets like middle america yeah yeah and it's moves there you know it yeah. still moves in the big markets in the east coast and everything but um you know it's all new to them yeah you know it's an interesting one isn't it? i remember being in the we were i'm just trying to think uh, neil empson did you, you come across neil empson he no. was a guy who started bellini and a whole lot of those italian wines he's a kiwi who lived in in um or just out of new york somewhere Oh, okay and he became, you know, Mr. Italy. He, in fact, he was importing Gaia oh. uh, at one stage. So that was part of his sort of... Um, um, Portfolio Cast, or whatever. Cast, the Gabbiano, Castello, the Gabbiano, the whole bunch of that stuff anyway. He 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 started importing porting Morton Estate when I was at Morton. He tasted the Chardonnay somewhere and rang up in the middle of the night and said, hey, send me a container. So <laughs> Sure. <laughs> yeah. So that was 87, I think. Anyway, you know, taking Hawke's Bay Sauvignon to the States at that time, they much preferred that style, that Hawke's Bay style, I to Marlborough because do, yeah. there's always this thing, uh, which was the, um, the Californian coastal wines, you know, they talked about bell pepper. Yeah. And they in the Marlborough wines in those days showed truckloads oh, yeah. of bell pepper. Yeah. And they hated it. Yeah. But they quite liked the Hawke's Bay more tropical more more um which they didn't know didn't understand Stone passion fruit, fruit passion fruit yeah i mean that's I didn't understand what's passion fruit you know, what? yeah yeah it's, it's little... good don't worry <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but as two dollars more a bottle worth you know <laughs> exactly so you were at morton then and what was your role there at that stage? i i helped start morton yeah so i was chief winemaker, chief winemaker yeah. yeah and then eventually ended up running the place so I've had some really great sparkling wines from there, you know. That was yeah, that was one of my one of my babies. We actually set that up in '85, I think it was, because Robert Muldoon was uh, Prime Minister of New Zealand at that time. The economy it was a disaster. Mm. You know, it was uh, exchange rate was totally controlled. Um, there was all sorts of import bloody tariffs and whatever, mm. and tax rate was, I think top rate was something like 66 cents in the dollar or something yeah. might have even been higher so they set up these things called special partnerships where you could write off all the losses against your personal income so you know all these and that's how the kiwi food industry got started it was all set up initially for just we're going to lose money tax dodges yeah, yeah or tax yeah. avoidance yeah should we say yeah. Yeah. So we set up that sparkling wine production facility as that. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it was very successful. Well, because it's going to be a, if you're doing it. Well, there's a lot of stock are, there, you know, yeah, sitting there for a couple of years. Yeah, exactly. It's, gonna, it's in, quite an investment for a while. Yeah, yeah. So straight away, you guys were doing 
Uh, Chardonnay? We, yeah, well, we, our first vintage, we won golds for Chardonnay. So uh, Morton became, of the smaller wineries, probably the most uh, important of Chardonnay producer. Mm. And, and barrel we, fermented at that time too? Yeah. And well, yeah. I started the whole barrel fermentation thing in 84 uh, at Morton, and we were the first commercial. We, we actually think probably in Australasia, first commercial uh, barrel fermentation of Chardonnay. I mean, it's arguable. Tyrrells might have done some uh, back I think, earlier. Uh, I was at a dinner one time, and uh, somebody, I think, said you and maybe somebody else. Paul Mooney and, from uh, Mission. And uh, Nick Nobolo said, I made, uh, but he, <laughs> yeah. I don't think he commercially released yeah, it. He's, I made it in 74 or something. One you know? barrel or something, yeah. <laughs> Actually, I remember those wines when I first came to New Zealand. That They were the, the novelized wines of those were really some of the very first decent quality vinifera mm. you know they he i remember from 70 late 76 i think nick had they had gewurz they had chardonnay it was all pinot chardonnay i think they had um cabernet sauvignon uh, three and pinot noir mm. so four wines that actually were really highly regarded at the time and they were went bad yeah but the uh. first new zealand wines i ever tried was um when I was at Berry, I was saying that I was part of or involved with the Beefsteak and Burgundy Club or whatever, and somebody brought along some couple of Cook's wines. There was a Pinot Gris. Pinot Gris that far back. Pinot yeah. Gris, and there was a, I don't know, a Molotuga or something or other blend. And I thought, well, actually, they're actually not too bad. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. then Jimmy advertised in Delegate, advertised in Australia for a winemaker, and I thought, ah, not a bad way to spend a couple of years. I haven't really been outside of Australia at that time. Mm. So that was the whole idea. I was going to be at Delegates for 18 months. I am still here in New Zealand. <laughs> yeah. It's, and when, uh, so you started a family in sort of 90s or whatever? Yeah, or? my eldest son was born in uh, 2003. So he's just turned 20, uh, He's just turned 25. What's that? Yeah. That's uh, 25. No, before, no, 93. Yeah. 93, that yeah. That makes sense, yeah. So it was all go there for a while, and then you kind of got scooped up by uh, the Trinity Hill peeps. Yeah, well, I sta- that was that was my that was my thing. With I got a couple of people, uh, a couple of shareholders involved with me in that. Yeah, and that was really how that started. So there was three, three partners in the company. So that's why we called it Trinity. Ah, yeah, makes sense. It wasn't just yeah. the the hill. You don't want to call no, it Roy, no Roy's go- Hill. There, no, well, there is no such physical place as Tr- Trinity Hill. Yeah. So we just said, hey, we're going to build the winery at the base of the hill. That can be the start and Trinity because of three partners. And that was that, really. Good name. But yeah. basically, over a period, winemakers don't have a lot of money. So my business partners, you know, had to put, keep putting money in. And I didn't. So my shareholding just got eroded, really. I know all about that. <laughs> <laughs> it does take some money and time. Yeah, yeah it does. Uh, and then, uh, so obviously... You became the face of that business, yeah. And we're sort of traveling, selling, yeah, I spent and doing a lot all that. more time on the road and, yeah, and out and about, and I just got really a right away from winemaking. And I and I actually hired Warren, yeah, uh, first in '86 or '87 when I was at Morton. He was just a but he lost kid really. He kind of explained that to me. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He was, he was from doing, a random, random part of New Zealand and everything. And yeah, because Morton was in the Bay of Plenty. Yeah, his father had a That's kiwi right, fruit yeah. orchard. That's right. Yeah. And he was at Massey doing food tech and hated it mm. and dropped out basically after the second year. And he was back in the Bay of Plenty and he, he was quite a good cricketer. And so so I was That's in right. the There's local cricket, cricket team. over there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so um, really to get him to play cricket for us, <laughs> said, I'll give you a job if you if you show any promise, then we'll send you to Roseworthy and do all that sort of stuff. So that's sort of what happened. Awesome. And then uh, after I left uh, Morton, I said to him, you go out around the world, get as much experience as you can, and then you can come and work with me at Trinity Hill. So that's really what happened. So 97, mm. uh, which was our second vintage at Morton, he came back and, and joined us there. And then you guys skipped over and started all up. And did you have... I mean, what was the process like? How quick, you know, was it a bare bones building for was, so well, many years? Yeah, uh, it was, everything was from scratch. So we planted all our own vineyards from scratch. We worked with uh, Jeff Whitaker, um, just on more or less opposite where Selene is there. He had a vineyard. So that was called, that vineyard was called Shepherd's Croft. 
That's right. So the first wines that came out from Trinity Hill under that white label were, uh, we called them Shepherd's Croft. And then the next year, 97, we uh, we had the winery up and running and by 97 Harvest. Pretty good design for 90, mid-90s, you know? Yeah, like... well, that was my third... That was my third winery. Yeah, so. okay. So you knew what you wanted at that <laughs> I stage. I knew what I wanted. But even, you know, visually, aesthetically, it's a cool-looking building. And, and Yeah, uh, oh, and a lot yeah. of people didn't had, thought it was like a, a um, top-dressing fertilizer bunker or something, yeah, all sorts yeah. of things for starters, until the trees and things grew. It looked pretty stark standing out in the middle of the paddock. Yeah, and then, you know, build up tank-wise, barrel-wise, you know. Yeah, well, the first two years, um, uh, Matariki... Had they had already had already bought a press and a crusher, so we said, "Well, you put that there. You can stick your tanks in there because we just built the building big enough to where we wanted to go. We really wanted to. We aimed for two hundred ton. That's all we really wanted to do. 200, 250 ton. So we made the building big enough to do that and put the tanks in as we needed them. Really. Yeah. So they had tanks, crusher, uh, destemmer, and the press there, which we used. Um, and they just used the space as well. So, for the first two years, worked out. It was all done there. What did what would? Uh, yeah, I'm assuming it's in recent years. What was peak sort of size of Trinity Hill? We uh, just uh, we <laughs> they, they crush about a thousand ton. Yeah, mm. and so we got bigger than we, and that was probably that was a mistake really. I mean, but we the way that. Um, both my partners didn't have a massive amount of money, so we had to sort of grow to fund it, which seems rather strange. But No, I know, I hear what you're saying. Mm. Yeah, it comes a point of sort of critical economics and, yeah. and size and everything that you, you basically have to... It'd be nice to go back to that 250 tonne. Yeah, that's I a nice, that's a nice easy. spot. I like, and and could have made money at that. I like working over at Paratua a lot. It's yeah. pretty manageable and, um, you know, there's... We we could and we are or they are I'm sort of similar they are, <laughs> um, but I'm over there quite a bit still yeah. making a bit of my wines and Good. stuff. But they uh, they're making more whites, uh, so they probably get up yeah. over 300. But it's a good size, you yeah. know what I mean? It's fun and uh, it's still, you know, you have some some big things going on that you know obviously help pay the bills and yeah. and uh, it's interesting to see those kinetics and how those yeah. things work. It's like Cellini, you know, yeah. they ended up they were going to be focused largely on reds too, mm. and end up being you know probably ninety percent Marlborough Sauvignon. Yep. Yeah, and and sort of exported in eighty markets or whatever mm. it is. It's a very yeah. different different yeah. model. Yeah, we didn't we didn't want to go down that Marlborough style. I mean, we. We set up Hawks Bay because that was the style of wines we wanted to make, you know. We mm. wanted to make sort of world-class reds. Yeah. Um, probably do more white than red now as well. Yeah. And we planted. But, you know, I mean. They're quite a, a reasonably sizable vineyard up at I think the back the, of. The one thing is like, uh, you know, the further on I get and what I saw, particularly I worked in California, is everybody thinks of like, oh, these $100 Napa cabs and yeah. this and that. And you go. Yeah, that's great. And there are those amazing spots that are just wine club run. 90% of their wines go there. And yeah, the other 10% yeah, go yeah. to a few restaurants in San Francisco. Those are dream places, you yeah. know. And uh, But, you know, a lot of the brands that we know and think of as far as wines sold across America or even exported at high rates to China or mm. somewhere like that, the bills are paid by Sauvignon Blanc and Chardonnay turning mm. over, you yeah. know, and then they it pays for their, you know, their, yeah. their single vineyard cabs and that huge. stuff. Very few. I suppose there's a number of those small guys who probably only make one wine. And yeah, there's a few. Cabernet Sauvignon. Yeah. And bought from Beck Stoffer or somebody like that. You know, one one of the growers who own half the valley. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. And the price, man, the price of grapes is astronomical uh, at the top end. I worked at Pina and uh, we had a mount, mountain fruit was starting to be the, all the rage there, which was pretty funny to me because... I had just come from New Zealand, trained here, <laughs> and I was used to a slightly more aromatic Cabernet Sauvignon. I'll use that yeah. word and yeah. giving, you know, hopefully you don't want to be green, but it's got yes, at least yes. some tea leaf and things Absolutely. like that. And most of the stuff in the valley doesn't really have that as much. No. It's pretty jammy. Um, but the mountain fruit was beautiful, beautiful, longer growing season, a little more aromatic. And uh, that stuff was something like 13 grand a ton or something. Yeah. 
you know and i mean it would i guess it makes sense if you can sell it for 120 a bottle well you have to you know <laughs> you I, mean, I, I remember uh, robert mondavi and i was lucky enough to meet him a couple of times actually he came to new zealand a bit yeah back in the day um he said if you're paying two grand a ton for grapes your wine has to be two twenty dollars a bottle mm. three grand thirty dollars and so on all the way up yeah and it's probably still holds true it's pretty pretty accurate mm. yeah yeah it's pretty much right there particularly with uh gst and excise <laughs> well excise is not so bad i mean it'd be worse if we were in the australian situation yeah, I know. I see that wet tax and everything else Which going on Which is based on, on wholesale price, yeah. not on volume. So, you know, the more expensive the wine, the more tax you pay. Mm. Whereas New Zealand, the more expensive just the flat. wine is, yeah. is, relatively speaking, getting smaller. Yeah. Yeah, it's better for that. Mm. But, uh, yeah, they pay a lot of money for wine in Australia. I've been over there now twice for sales, and I've been like, wow. Like, I mean, you know, you go to the Barossa and... Or like uh, Larry McKenna from Escarpments, and mm. you know we went to high school together. Oh, really? I brought him to New Zealand I to didn't work know that. with me. Yeah, so I've known Larry since 1967, I think. Oh, you have to shoot Larry a text and tell him I'm I'm an okay guy if I yeah, send out. I yeah, want to yeah, do no, a. Uh, yeah, no I love to chat with him. They're in a no crossroads problem. as well. These days. These yeah, days. well, that's what I was going to say. They've been bought by. Oh shit! Is it out of the Barossa? Oh, what the hell are they called? Doesn't matter. Zone People by, can, an, can zone by it. An, an American gap chap now. Yeah. God, what the fuck is it called? Anyway, uh, I had I was looking on. I went online just to have a look at their website, and look, there's four, five, six, seven, eight hundred, nine hundred bucks a bottle. It's like holy crap. Oh, know? for that winery in Australia. Yeah, yeah. 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 There's some some serious players over there. Yeah. And they, you know, well, they, they got the population I that can handle that. it better than New Zealand. Yeah. Who, yeah. I mean. Anybody spends more than fifteen bucks a bottle in New Zealand, that's really stretching. Yeah. yeah I no, reckon you, the number gotta, of people who are into fine wine would be in the hundreds in New Zealand and that would be all. You gotta export if you wanna uh, you gotta find somehow captivate the rest of the wine world. Yeah, well, with it's, your, it's not easy in the States, no. is it? It's a bloody tough market. It is. They want the the competitive stuff, you know. Mm. Uh, they've always you know I make a pretty good Pinot, I like hang my hat on that and uh it sells all in New Zealand and Australia, a little bit in the States, but, you know, they're still having Where gotten that, a hold of... Where does that fruit come from? Is that from... Brody from Estate down in Martinborough. Yeah. So yeah I, we, had I, a, we had a bottle of the other night somewhere. Where the hell was I? Oh, you may have had the 15. That was from uh, Dodd's Vineyard. And 16, would it have been in... Oh, yeah. Pacifica or somewhere? Or? Yeah, Pacifica. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I think they're on nice. the 16 now. Yeah. Nice. Good. Yeah, I, I love that vineyard. Some of those Southern Hawks Bay, I don't know if you've tried many of them. Yeah, I've tried it's them. It's quite, you know, that there's a vineyard that we took fruit from at Trinity. Yeah. At per, inland from Parongahau. Mm hmm. Pretty much on the boundary of the Wairarapa and Hawks Bay. Made pretty good bloody oh, wine. Oh, it's way, that fruit is way closer to. Yeah, the Gladstone style mm, mm, than mm. it is, I don't know what else mm. would be in Hawke's Bay, but Crown yeah. Thorpe or something we like that. We had another vineyard just back off Valley Road. Yep. The Rich, Richmond family had a little vineyard there that made some pretty nice Pinot too. Yeah. It's more on that sort of lime over lime, lime, limestone, lime, loam over limestone soils. That would be soils. good. Yeah, you need a little more. I think that sometimes there's not enough sort of tension in the Hawke's Bay Pinots, mm. and they... Um, uh, yeah, there's whether or not there's a winemaker thing going on there where they let it hang too much. Yeah, I think there's a in, bit of that. In Martinborough, a lot of times we're forced <coughs> we're forced to pick, and the sugars actually go up a little bit once you get it in the winery with mm. Pinot, and it doesn't matter if Pinot's 13, 12 and a half, something like you know, at seventeen yeah. I had yeah, a twelve percent one. Fifteen percent stuff. Yeah, and we're used to like, oh well, we don't want our Cabernet and Merlot to be green, and you're thinking the same thing with Pinot, but a little. A little green and yeah, a little stemminess and Pinot yeah. is pretty good. Yeah. So it's tough to say whether or not why Hawks Bay Pinot, I don't like it as much as, say, Martinborough. Uh, and might just, it's think, all those things probably. But, I think yeah. Martinborough, to me, as, a, as a, a Pinot region in New Zealand, to me is the best. I agree 100%. <laughs> Maybe the Wiperas, uh, there's some stuff Interesting coming out of Wiper that's yeah. pretty nice. But it just doesn't have the... Uh, but it's tiny. It's tiny. It doesn't have the... You know, there's something to be said about that little village in Martinborough. Mm. And everybody's around there and, mm. and they talk and they've been talking mm. for 30, 40 years. Yeah. And there's some, you know, there's 
there has to be a little, even if it's a small critical mass, there has to be one for us to get our heads around yeah. what's going on at that vineyard yeah. and this work. Well, no, I don't know what's happened in Hawke's Bay, but there's not much of that going on in Hawke's Bay, sadly. Um, uh, you know, when I first went to New Ze- came to New Zealand and I was based in Auckland, and most of the wineries were in Auckland in those days, we had uh, get-togethers with the young winemakers of West Auckland on a very regular basis. We do it. We do it. I don't, uh, you know, I think it sort of teeters off as, uh, your harvest and your harvest well, no, I was going to say as the ages get up, mm. but, uh, we've been doing, you know, probably at least a few times a year we do regular sit down tasting mm-hmm. that, you know, either we're bringing in wines or we're bringing once a year, at least we do a, bring in your kind of weirdest wine or, <laughs> or a wine that you're just trying something out with and we're going to taste it blind and tell you what we really think. Yeah. And I always say before those tastings, like, don't get offended. We're not in school. There's no buyers or public around. Like, we're just going to tell you what we yeah. think, and everybody's going to be at least kind about knowing that they're going to. They might thrash somebody in the room. Yeah, it should stay in the room. Though. Exactly, it does. Mm. And uh, so we do that, and then yeah, we all hang out quite a bit. But um, uh, I agree that there needs to be more of it. And uh, is it and, is it Eva the the lady at the American bird at, at Paratua. Paratua. Oh, she's Canadian. Amy? Amy. Amy. They had a gr- uh, Eva. She's very keen to. Yeah, we, we do. Yeah, we've done stuff with her. We've done a burgundy tasting with mm. her. And we'll do one this winter. There's talk of, of uh, she's going to organize the next one, I think. Mm. So, uh, and it's not exclusive to youngish people. Because <laughs> uh, young, I, I say youngish because I, I, got, I got some uh, salt <laughs> in my beard and have and, um but, you know, I, I was kind of hoping I would organize a lot of this, and I, and I hope that some more people would take the reins with mm. it. And there has been a few, a few times, but people Well, there's come... some funny dynamics in the in the wine industry in Hawke's Bay. There tends to be a lot of long-term wine. Mm. People like Warren, for example, you know, who's been yeah. a winemaker at Trinity Hill, you know, pretty much on his own since probably 2000. Yeah. And he'll be there for another 20 years. Mm. So for people like, I don't know if you know Damien. Yeah, yeah, I know Damien. Yeah, people like Damien are stuck, really. What do they do? They can't, you know, he's not going to take Warren's job, probably ever. That's exactly why. And, and if you don't want to move out of Hawke's Bay, you, so there's really not very much happening in terms of new personnel in I Hawke's agree. Bay. Yeah, it is. Uh, and we get some amazing talent come through, particularly from overseas. Gosh, yeah. And... Uh, that's one of the. That was one of the reasons why I started this podcast. Because if you look at the first sort of twenty episodes, there's some random people from Sicily and Italy and France and Romania and yeah, stuff like that. Yeah. Just like these are interesting people passing yeah. through. You don't want to get. And then it's sort of evolved into, as I've got my feet into talking to people more uh, who are sort of in the industry and more peers and mentors and yeah. things. But the, it, you're totally right and. You know, when I went to work at Paratua, I told Jason that right away. I was like, I don't want your job, and <laughs> you're not going anywhere anyway, <laughs> yeah. so it doesn't work. This is going to work out really well for us. Yeah. And uh, he said, you want to do your own thing, right? I said, yeah. So uh, that's – I think there's a lot of opportunity for that yeah. in Hawke's Bay, which is – Well, my 25-year-old son, who graduated last year uh, from Plumpton in the U.K., He's done, this is his fourth vintage, he's at Church Road mm. now, and they've offered him a, uh, an ongoing job there. Uh, but he's working with you with the... Well, we, yeah, we work together. In fact, we've been out to Moana Park this morning and fiddled around with the wine. Check on a, a few things. Yeah, yeah. So I like to get him involved as much as possible, but also partly it's to have... A millennial, totally, <laughs> and, and dad, a baby dad, boomer cool, together. Man, you know, <laughs> dad, that's not cool, man. Don't do that. Trust me, that's not what's on the streets these days. You know, exactly. I agree. I mean, I think we have to, uh, and that's sort of what I was getting at. Whether there's opportunity in Hawks Bay, is there is the, you know, I, I get my balls broke a bit by saying the old guard, but there's that establishment. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And uh, and that, I personally, I think that's great, and I love history, and I love the like these stories and everything that's the foundation of what's happening. But on top of that, you know, if you go outside of New Zealand, you see what's going on in the wine world and the Mm. dynamic people Mm. and the things that are happening in Australia being top of the list of progressive wines being made. Well, they're both. I mean, Australia has that, and they also have a sort of, what can we call it, traditional base as well. Yeah. And I suppose New Zealand's a little bit the same, although it's 
probably more traditional than the new wave. Mm. Some of it's happening, you know, with what you guys and various other people in Hawke's Bay are doing and yeah, other parts of the country. Good opportunity for that. There's a bit in, you know, a few guys in Wipra mm. and, and mm. uh, I, I don't know enough about Otago, but I would have to think it's pretty expensive to be a rogue dude or woman down there and, yeah. and trying to do something funky. Maybe the market in Queenstown is there. Yeah, well, that's for sure. They've got that. We don't, I mean, Hastings, Napier, not exactly a massive wine market. No, there's a little bit of a scene that you can, you know, the restaurants have certainly gotten better yep. in the last yep. five what years. What, have you been to Matisse yet? Yeah, I've been there three I, times. I, I like it, but what, I mean, I think they got it a bit wrong price-wise. Their wines are expensive. Food seems mm. to be reasonably priced, but the wines are damn expensive. Yeah, well, she's bringing in a lot of, a lot mm. of uh, interesting stuff. Uh, to be honest, I guess compared to what else is out there, it's a bit pricey, but so many of those wines I've never had before, yeah, so I don't true. actually no, know totally, how much they but, cost, you know? The use in Hawke's Bay, no. what is it, 10? Yeah. 20? Yeah. She's going to really struggle because there's mm. wines on there that the yeah. average person in Buddy Napier, mm. well, give me a bloody Pinot Gris, you know, yeah, you can yeah, imagine yeah. it, can't you? I guess she doesn't want that, you know, yeah. and, and uh, well, she she's not, clearly, she, she might not she make might it. Not but, survive, <laughs> yeah, but we'll see. Mm. Um, she certainly put a, a whole heart and soul into yeah, this Yeah, they've stage. done a good job of, of I'm sure you and up. I will be there. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. <laughs> it's not the you and I's that are the problem. No, no, exactly. We're, like you said, there's only a handful of, uh, you know, wine. And I don't even, you know, I drink a lot of friends' wines. I don't have the money to be buying uh yeah, yeah. you know i like to find those guys who can buy that <laughs> stuff and those 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 people but um so that, no that's cool so it's uh the new brand is going to be yeah, hancock, it's hancock and son, and son. yeah okay well actually we're calling it it's actually hancock and sons and sons yeah so i've got son. another son a younger son who's not involved at this stage but he may be down the track <laughs> and He's it's a, a marketing thing we thought it sounded better as hancock yeah, and sons sure. than hancock and son so is he in school now, or is no? He he's just, uh, he's he's just working in not wine retail, just general retail or shoes actually in well, Wellington. Whole, so he's uh, scarpered from home at nineteen and said, "I want to get out of Hawke's Bay." So that's right? fair enough. And he rang me. In fact, he's, he'll ring me again tonight. But he rang me the other day and said, "I said, how's it going, mate?" He said, "Bloody tough here on Struggle Street, Dad." You know, being a, a 19-year-old getting paid minimal wage. Well, he'll learn a lot. Um, hard to, hard any, to make a living. Anything in... Uh, oh, that's the thing about life. You know what I mean? You look back at it and go, you'll be fine. <laughs> and, but, you know, it's going to well, suck for a while. you can learn where money actually comes from. Yeah. And and he's going to have to hustle to, to make <clears throat> yeah. it happen. Yeah. And uh, you look back... I mean, that's... It was tough days, but I look back at all the worst jobs I had <laughs> as the best like stories and the best learning experience and yeah, even right. you know when i was first few years in hawks bay i was like you know I, was, I drove by a dairy today in havelock i used to live in an old uh smoke room on an orchard right yeah was my flat yeah nice and uh <laughs> it was rough <laughs> days nice. <laughs> but i remember i said oh that dairy because i hadn't seen it in years i said i used to walk there on sundays because it was like the closest place and i would get out my <laughs> coins and try to buy something i was like what the hell man i was like and and but it was a funny story you know and it's yeah. like you know i think that is what makes it when you learn to appreciate it you don't want anything too fast or too you know nothing in life comes at the right time you know what i mean it <laughs> no, never comes true. like this. i'm perfectly ready for this <laughs> situation so he'll learn and uh, pro hopefully bring that uh that retail experience to you you know he'll be telling you how you yeah. should do your shelf yeah. placement and yeah, uh and uh going out and selling you know because yeah that's what he'll that's what he'll be doing the other one can make the vino yeah he can i really wanted to try and i mean two reasons for starting that i firstly i wanted to get back to to more hands-on to hands-on winemaking again mm. and secondly i was always a bit miffed the way trinity turned out and for me, is that I, I wanted to be able to leave a bit of a legacy for those two guys. Well, that well, that's not going to happen. So hopefully, we can build this up a little bit over a period, and it can be a. And you've, you know, you know people all over the world. You'll be able to. Yeah, call I've, some had, old I've friends. had heaps of people already say, you know, oh, if you want us to sell your wine in Australia, love to do it. Well, I've, you know, my general response is, well, let's yeah. just wait till we've made it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I've had a number of people, including in the States and the UK, who do it. I don't really want to export until I have to. Yeah. 
so we are we only crushed 10 ton or something this year so i've got you know eight or 900 cases of wine and that's it yeah well that'll be good and uh are you gonna you know delve into some other varietals you have your eye on syrah oh, look i'm yes i will but i got into this fairly late so i didn't really have the opportunity to you know, if i'm going to be doing reds it needs to be the right vineyards and mm. the right growers so we'll work on that over the next you know nine 12 months to do yes i want to do some other stuff i'm also quite open to to doing the negotiant type thing like buying bulk wine or whatever from central or marlborough or whatever it happens to be and i mean, even contemplated selling sauvignon <laughs> well i've been probably one of the more vocal anti-sauvignon people mm. in the whole industry really in but for export or for anything, anything. i hate the fucking stuff yeah so <laughs> no no i meant for if you bought it what oh you do? yeah yeah yeah, yeah just be, to grow the business a bit yeah 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 and still but still have a, a base of own or purchased working with growers that i'm comfortable with and yeah. vineyard sites and varieties that i'm comfortable with in those vineyard sites so that's cool you started with franc is that was that planned or just kind of well, out I, um no i i really always have liked uh cabernet franc rosés yeah and certainly in in the trinity hill gimlet gravels vineyards uh cabernet franc was one of the consistently really good varieties there yeah so that was the whole thought pattern there. In fact, I'll probably, next year, hopefully, I can get some front from the gravels. Mm. It's a bit of fruit it's different to be, from here. Yeah, oh yeah. Oh yeah, it'd be way more. Uh, it wouldn't have more. that mocha thing probably no, as much. Yeah. No, more chunky yeah. sort of wine. I'm not that, I'd really, I mean, people, the average consumer doesn't like chunky wines. Mm. So best to avoid that to a degree anyway. In fact, a blend of the two, I think, would be really good get that mockery come uh you know coconutty cherry yeah. thing that you get and then a little and bit the, of with the, the more sort of I suppose, probably more aromatic almost out of the gravels aromatic and angular i always mm. say mm. is what they are this the, mm. the certainly the, more color more depth to them mm. yeah so that could be and may even you know i've only got this 200 cases i think of cabernet franc for red i might see what's about with cabernet franc bulk wine like from um, Craggy Range or someone like that. Yeah. Maybe a, maybe a blend might be a smart way to go there too. Yeah. It's a thought. Hmm. And then you'll just see what happens with it's for you. It'll be more about found, finding the right grower as opposed to like I want Syrah or I want yeah. Cap yeah. I'm more or inclined to I'll work with the growers and vineyard sites first, but obviously vineyard sites really require the right variety yeah it, yeah, it goes hand in hand but you're yeah. going to kind of start with the, yeah. the site first and say this is interesting yeah well that's cool man i'm excited to taste some more interesting wines Sh- yeah, keep it'll shaking be a bit it of fun. up a little bit certainly not i mean my mantra has always been you know leave it alone if it you know someone way back in my early days has told me that um you know the 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 way to make great wine is to know when to leave things alone mm. you know to know when to do nothing step back really a important. bit yeah yeah and winemakers especially uh you know university trained winemakers which we all have been uh have a, a want to bloody interfere with things you know everything it's not exactly that's right. probably that's the, <laughs> the number one thing i've learned with the pinot to talk about a varietal that you know you have to wait with yeah is like every step of the way i'm like did i just fuck this whole thing <laughs> and then you wait and like a month you go oh no it's okay you know and then you and yeah, then you patience. do the next thing and the, you know whether it's a filter or a racking or something and you're just like what what happened to my wine you know and then <laughs> yeah. just wait and then don't do anything you know don't be too heavy-handed with this and uh mm. it usually pans out but yeah. um well that's cool man that just we just flew by i mean we're you know too too easy when you're drinking some Mosul Riesling. Yeah, you know absolutely. I mean? My um, the reason for bringing that was that uh, my first my first job my first harvest was at Yolumba, and Yolumba wines in those days were well that was the early days of Pusey Vale Riesling. I don't know if you've ever come across Pusey Vale. That's their Mm-mm. sort of standard, you know, twenty five dollar, yeah, twenty twenty five dollar Riesling, and it's fabulous. I drink more of that than I drink anything else, and my cellar. Probably contains more Riesling than anything else. Really? German Riesling. I don't really like New Zealand Riesling. There's a few I really like, but I think we need to get a bit better at making it. I mean, whereas 
there's quite a number of Aussie Rieslings that I really like. It's that drier, mm. that really dry, sort of piercingly objective sort of variety. I love it. I think it's a wonderful Yeah, Matt, Matt from uh, Clearview, we did a tasting. Mm-hmm. Speaking, going back to these tastings, we did one last year. I think it was just like aromatic whites, and he brought some older Australian Rieslings that were like, holy, like we yeah. were all just like, whoa, you know, this is serious, serious business. And Semillon. Yeah, well. The, yeah well, there's similarities in a mm. way. Um, my first job once I graduated was a company called Leo Burings in the Barossa Valley in, in those days. And I'm talking 1970, late 1973, 74, 75, while I was there. Um, the winemaker, who when I started there, was a guy called John Vickery. John Vickery is a very famous winemaker in Australia. He was voted by the winemakers of Australia as the winemaker's winemaker. Mm. <laughs> uh, he's, and he had, you know, all these things like good housekeeping, good winemaking, you know, all this sort of stuff. But he was fantastic. And we were drinking, uh, in those days, 10-year-old Rieslings, Eden Valley Rieslings, 10-year-old uh, from some famous, you know, DWV12. Leo Buring's DWV12 is a very famous wine in Australia, and we'd drink that every night after work. Just got to love love that stuff. So, and uh, Leo Burings were owned by Lindemans in those days. And Lind, and you're mm. talking about Hunter <coughs> Semions or Australian Semions. The, those Hunter Valley wines from Lindemans from the sort of late fifties, mid sixties through to nineteen early nineteen seventies were fabulous wines, and we we drank them a lot. Yeah, it's a uh, it's a bit older history over there. You know, mm. as far as the mm. winemaking goes, you know, there's a bit of that in New Zealand, but very, very little. And yeah, well, I mean, go Tom McDonald. Yeah. And those wines were shit. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> you know, at least I've the, never history, had them, the history in Australia. There's those some wines fantastic were wines, you know, yeah, the, world the, class. The, uh, who's, the, who's the guy out of the Hunter? They all bloody talk about the wines. So where, like 60, where was 70. the, obviously there's more, you know, I know there's more Italians that went to Australia than came to uh New Zealand, uh, I know that New Zealand had some Croatian. Yeah, but what, Croatian what was influence was pretty strong in New Zealand, but also in parts of Australia. That's what I was like wondering. Western was Australia, quite strong. So word is the culture but, of... Um, the Barossa Valley's German. German, okay. Yeah. And yeah. in fact, you know, when I, when I lived there, and in fact my first wife folks were grape growers in the Barossa Valley, so very much of German descent. And, <clears throat> you know, like the grandfather still sounded like you know, he could have been German, you know, yeah. he's a stroke with quite a strong accent. And they, you know, he would have been fifth, probably third or fourth generation. Yeah. But the whole Barossa, they spoke this sort of mixed dialect they called Barossa Deutsch. Ah. So, you know, when I first went to Germany, which was 1981, I could make my way around Germany quite happily with the German <laughs> that I'd sort of picked up from the Barossa. Yeah, just some vocabulary mm. and little mm. things here and there. Yeah. I studied German a long time and never got any use for it. I studied German all the way in through university, and then I went and worked in um, uh, for the EU as a member. Of, I worked for an English member of Parliament, and, oh, right. uh, and but it was in Brussels, uh, you know, where the EU is, and uh, nobody wanted to speak German outside no, Germany. No, <laughs> it's no, like no, they're no. almost afraid to, you know, they're like, just keep the German inside. <laughs> We've had a little problem with them in the last couple hundred years, you know. <laughs> Yeah. So I found my German uh, language skills pretty useless over there. Um, well, I, I was one worse. I did five years of Latin. Oh, yeah. Oh, that'll help you with uh, oh, it's, yeah, you know, it's a basis reading for the a Bible. Lot of languages. You know, you, know, yeah. you can uh, get your, all your, uh, yeah, your base for your vote. Yeah, help you on like uh, standardized tests and stuff like that. <laughs> yeah. Probably not much else. Come up with a good wine name or something, you know. Well, that's right. <laughs> Uh, well, cool, man. I think we'll leave it there, and cool. uh, I think it would be really interesting to talk to you again in a little while. And sure, see, I see when we've got see, yeah, see the market. Yeah, the yeah. Market see what's happening with the suns, and yeah. uh, and see where things go. Yeah. Well, cheers, man. You're welcome. Oh, that was great to talk to John. Thanks for coming in, John, and bringing that great wine with you. Uh, just want to plug a few things before we t- let you guys go. Uh, at Vin Story Podcast on Twitter, drop us a line and just, yeah, if you got any ideas, any people you think we should be interviewing, and 
talking to, let me know. Any feedback on uh, upcoming episodes, we'd love to hear from you. Of course, the podcast is always sponsored by Decibel Wines. I'm at Decibel Dan on Instagram and Twitter. And Decibel Wines on Facebook is pretty easy to find. Always use that hashtag, Drink Decibel. Uh, We've we've actually sent out a few t-shirts and things like that just from people who have used that hashtag. Just have a bit of fun with it. Um, We're heading to Australia in August. We might try to do a podcast there. That should be fun. And I keep saying wait, but it's really just me. And uh, yeah, thanks, John, again. Also, big thank you to Kari. This is pretty cool. They are uh, helping out sponsor the podcast these days. Um, they do some great products. I think I spoke about it a lot in the early on, uh, but we will be ongoing with those guys at kariwine.com. Check them out, all you winemakers and viticulturists out there for some good stuff. Thanks, guys. See you soon. Cheers.